to have an unex, to do unexplainable things, inexplicable things. They had lives that created questions and that did not make sense to the culture around them. Much of the church is working to blend with the culture, to embrace the culture, to try to see if they can attract the culture by simulating the culture in some way. But that was never Jesus' plan. His plan was that we could be in any culture, anywhere, and be relevant. Because what Jesus brings is always relevant, no matter where people are, when they're rich, when they're poor. The church often gets into a role where it acts like the poor are the people that need Jesus. Is that true? Is that what the scripture even suggests? That it's the poor, it's the homeless, it's the disenfranchised or the compromised that need Jesus? Why would we suggest that these people are the only ones that really need the power of the gospel to alter their reality? Years ago, I was on my first missions trip, and we were going around. There were a bunch of us uh, there. We were kind of talking about our background, our story. And there was this one guy who was from Boston, and he starts talking about uh, money brokers, stock brokers, uh, you know, bankers. I talked about them last week. My healing is complete. And, and uh, you know, the rich people, the Wall Streeters, He saw that as his mission field. I thought, how convenient. I can live in a high rise. And, and as he began to speak about these people, the tears began to come down his face. And I began to realize how human he had made them. They weren't rich people. They weren't educated people. They weren't greedy people. They weren't people of means or opportunity or, or privilege. They were bankrupt people that needed a savior. You see, he saw them different. And he saw that as people that needed to be rescued just like everybody else. So you see, it's the scripture that revealed that the Holy Spirit enabled and it empowers its believers to put sin to death. That power is resident in you and I to address the sin in our lives. When we act like the compulsion is stronger than we are, it's not true. We have the power of the Spirit to address our shortcomings. And the Spirit will actually participate in that. As I explained when I had this hatred for bankers, uh, explained that last week and how the Lord challenged me on that. Well, you see, you have to understand, I have 40 years, a litany of stories where I see the greed of bankers and how small people who need a loan can't get a loan because they're above reproach on giving money to anybody who is a slight risk. But they will lose billions to rich people on Wall Street. And it was that, it was that idea that for the small purpose person, they're very sanctimonious, but for their own kind, they take great risk. That was the essence of my issue with them. I have a, I have a litany of stories 
that explain how true this is. I could start a blog and go for a month and never add anything to what I already have to show this injustice. And I could get many people who would follow that, validate me and my struggle of that injustice. You see, but here's what Jesus did. Since you really don't hate bankers, then all those stories are not the point of their lives. And they are no longer the point of your life. Those stories need to come to me now. All of them. Every story. Do you realize I have to give up what I've been preaching for 40 years? I have to surrender that. Not only do I surrender the stories, but I have to surrender the attitude that was behind them, my own self-righteousness, my own judgment of humanity. You see, in surrendering those things, it sets me free. I'm free of, of, of that injustice. I'm free of hatred. I'm free of judgment. I'm free. You see, that is how sin is overcome. We engage the Holy Spirit who is ready and capable of addressing what we are not. You see, so the power to overcome sin, to overcome death, to overcome great obstacles, to see what's really happening in the moment beyond where I'm suffering or where I'm struggling. It made gifts available when they were needed, strength available, on point, when it was time. You see, the Holy Spirit is the most opportunistic reality for us. We are always ready for the moment when we are acknowledging and moving in the Spirit. See, that's, that's the church the world needs, is longing for. And when I, I talked, I really did not finish my, because I went back and listened to it. And, and I really encourage you, listen to last week. If you haven't heard last week, listen to it. You can go to the website, you can go to Facebook, and you can, you can listen to it because it'll put meat on some of these bones if you're new. You see, the reason I believe the Spirit wants me to stop saying, I think, maybe, possibly the Spirit is saying this, is because those around me in the world, if I, if I can hear the Spirit, that's what they need from me. If I go to somebody in the world and say, well, the spirit that you don't know and don't understand and don't necessarily believe in is, I think the spirit wants you to do this. Is that really a decision I need to put on them? Or do I need to figure out, is the Lord saying that? And then say that. We have a have a story. I didn't get the video, but I will, I will describe the story very briefly. We have a, a friend. His name is Robbie. And uh, Robbie was with another friend of ours, Craig, and they were in Times Square in New York. And uh, there was the, a big commotion. And there was a young girl, I think she was about 10 years old, that was lost in Times Square. If you've ever been to Times Square, it's not a place to be lost. 
And uh, they were in front of the M&M building. M&M is just what you think. It's the M&Ms. Um, and uh, I say M&Ms, the M&Ms. But they have a giant M&M there. So uh, it's a candy store. And, and so they're talking to the police. They're, they're trying to figure out what to do. Grandmother is panicked over this girl being missing. And uh, Robbie went over to this woman and said, is it okay if I pray? And kind of, you know, yes, of course it, it's okay, but kind of pushing it aside. And he prayed, and this is what he prayed, something like this. Uh, Lord, I pray that this girl will hear her voice, and she will hear to come right now immediately to the big M&M at the M&M building right now. In Jesus' name. I think he said in the next three minutes or something like that. He put a time frame on it. And then Craig, our other friend, was watching him, and he, and he saw his lips moving. He said, are you praying in tongues? He said, no, I'm, I'm counting. I'm counting the seconds. And by the end of that three minutes, this girl came in. And she said she heard a voice that told her to run. Do not hesitate. Run to the M&M building and go to the big M&M. So Craig, our friend, asked Robbie, our friend, how did you know to do that? I didn't know to do that. It's what needed to happen. Do you feel like you have that kind of power? You feel like the Lord would do that for you? We can sit here and we can discuss the theology of that all day long. But here's what I want to leave you with. And I'm glad to do that on a different day. We have to be the people in the moment. You have to have something of substance in the moment. And what God says, when he ties our spirits together and our hearts together, there's a reason for that. When he calls you his ambassador, his spokesperson, there's a reason for that. It means that you can speak for him. It means that you have the ability. You have some ability to do some speaking on behalf of the Father. Let's not surrender that. Let's not act like we are somebody that hears from God once every six weeks and we're not sure about that. Because you see, in that mode, it doesn't help us and it certainly doesn't create a value to the world. The Spirit is sent to instill purpose and to, and to accomplish that purpose. It is sent to qualify you and to, and to maintain that qualification and to equip you and to continue to equip all of us. That's what the Spirit is doing in us. The church must be something that's beyond a human creation. Now, no matter how big a church is, how many facilities they have, how many capabilities they have, how many programs they have, how much money they give away, how much blessing there is, it's still, McDonald's can do that. Exxon can do that. What are you doing that is beyond human potential and capability? You know, Bill Gates gives away a million dollars Unless you receive that million, nobody goes whoop on that. 
Nobody is really super impressed with that. Why? Because he has a bunch of those. It's when we're moving beyond what humans do, it changes things. In Luke chapter 12, we see this language that is brought up, verse 11 and 12. When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Do you hear that? When, when it becomes tough, when it becomes a little bit fearful, when it becomes everything is in the balance, I want you to not stress over how you're going to defend your position or what you're going to say. I don't want you to do that. Hear what he's saying? I don't want you to do that. Why would he say that? I don't want you to come up with a plan. I don't want you to come up with a strategy. I don't want you to fill your head with your best ideas. I'd rather you not do that. Why would the Lord do that? For all of us who like to plan the moment, does that sound a little irresponsible? Verse 12, but the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. That's just a reality. The reality is the Spirit wants to engage us in the moments of our lives. Not one moment, two moments, but as our life goes every day. He wants to be the assurance you need, the affirmation you need, the love you need, the forgiveness you need, the grace you need, the power you need, the courage. That's what you need right then. Believers have this capacity. In 1 Kings, Kings chapter 19, <clears throat> there's a great story here. It was Elijah the prophet, a very powerful prophet, did a lot of cool things with God. And he's the one that challenged uh, all the prophets of Baal and had this great, powerful experience, uh, kind of the power of God versus the power of the enemy. And God's power was greater. And what his perspective was with this great show and demonstration of power uh, that all of Israel and, and everybody will finally line up. But that isn't what happened. The queen said, let the gods do more to me than what you have done if you're not dead in 24 hours. So this powerful mighty prophet of God became afraid and ran. And he ran. And he ran. And he ran for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's hiding in a cave. And this is what... Now God is with him along the way. He's actually, actually feeding him by, with angels. Here's what God says to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a great question. 
I think God asks us that question more than we think. Bless you. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives him this, you know, answer. You know, uh, it all went wrong, and this didn't happen, and that didn't happen, and they've killed all the other prophets, and now I'm the only one, and it's no use, and you might as well kill me. So God, in verse 11, says, here's what I want you to do. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there. And the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. It says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. You see, we have the capacity to know his voice. It doesn't have to be blowing our doors off. We have that capacity. We have to believe that. We have to be confident that the capacity is within us to commune and relate with our Father. That is our birthright to connect with our Father. To know his heart. To speak to him and for him with confidence. You see, that's, that's what's missing for so many of us and for the church. That gentle whisper and he knew it was God and God said what are you doing here Elijah you see as ambassadors we need to nurture this part of us. We are capable of the unexplainable. Last week I shared with you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 17. We're going to take this apart just a little bit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All right, so it's come and it's here. All of this from God who reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal 
through us. Do you hear that language? As if God were speaking through me, speaking through you. That's a bold statement to say God is going to speak through me, isn't it? But it's what we have to learn to do. So in this passage, when we look at it, we see that we have been reconciled to him. We have been returned and restored to him. And we're at a place where we can hear, we can speak, we can listen, we can feel the heart of God. And he says, now I'm giving you the ministry of participating in this with others, the reconciliation of others. And it says, God says, that's what I'm doing. I'm reconciling the world to me. Now, what it says after that is very interesting because he says, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. All right? Repeat that with me. Not counting people's sins against them. One more time. That's critical to understand that because the next thing he says is, and he has now committed to us the message of reconciliation. The world is reconciling the world to himself. So the world is uh, being reconciled to God and he is. So what is the message of reconciliation? So what is the message of the church? But what does the church often reach for instead of that? God is a lot more angry with you than you think. Our country is going down the tube because you are sacrificing our virtues and values as a Christian nation. On and on, we hear the language of the church that suggests that the mission of God is not reconciliation of the world and... You got to be faster than that. That's not going to work. All right, one more time. That, they, that God is, is reconciling the world to himself in much better. I feel, I feel like my sins are not being counted against me now. We have to stop with the Christian values and virtues. Are they important? Yes. In fact, you're going to see where they are here in just a moment. But the point is, we start with the good news. We start with what God is doing. You see, there's three things that you need to remember about the church. It's not the church's job to be the keeper or the enforcer of, of morality. It's not the job of the church. We are not the keeper. We are certainly not the enforcer. Although we have worked to play that role through history lots of times. You can go down to Guanajuato, Mexico, and you can see the torture chambers of the church where they're tortured people to death getting confessions of their sin from them. That's the church. It's the history of the church. These are not... These values and virtues are not the standard for human behavior that we're holding up to the world. I cannot hold this standard up to the world and say, this is your standard. 
This is what makes you good. This is what's going to make you acceptable to God. I want to show you the standard. It might be God's standard. But the world knows you don't even hit it. We are not here to judge the world. What makes this interesting, as I shared with you last week, some pastors were talking about, you know, the loss of Christian values in the church and we need to preach on those. And I suggested that probably is not the best idea. So one of the pastors said, what do we do? What are you suggesting we do? I said, well, why don't we, why don't we really focus on the love and the call of the Father? And the statement was, how do we do that? Isn't that an interesting statement? So how exactly do we focus on the love of the Father? How does that work? You know what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We spoke with you. We weren't just wise and persuasive, but rather it was a demonstration of the Spirit's power in order that their faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. How do you, how do you deal with those verses? How do you make those verses work in our lives? And how do those verses work to set the world free? This was my suggestion to those pastors. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It talks about what the Holy Spirit produces. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When the scripture, when you look at it, it doesn't say you didn't lie, you didn't cheat, you didn't do drugs, you didn't look at porn, you didn't this, you didn't that, you prayed every day, you read your Bible every day. It doesn't say any of that. What does it say? It says the fruit of the Spirit living and operating in you is going to produce love and it's going to produce joy and it's going to exhibit patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. That's what the Spirit is going to produce in you and I. Do you want to see what it means by power? That is power. That is power. It will be exhibited as power. Last part of verse 23 in Galatians 5, it says, Against these, there isn't even a law. There's no law against them. I mean, in the world or anywhere else, there's no law that challenges love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. There's no law against them, not in the world or anywhere else. But they are highly unusual and very powerful. 
If you want to see the power of God, let the Spirit produce these things in you. You will take great risk for people. You are able to love your enemies. You're able to not engage in gossip. You're able to not judge other people. You're able to live above the injustices that come your way. You see, this is the power it was talking about. This is what the Spirit can do in you and me. Uh, I, I saw part of the movie, the first half, because it's a long movie, about Gandhi. I think it came out in the 80s. And if you don't know who Gandhi was, he was a, you know, he's a guy you see with the round glasses and the robe and all the stuff, bald head. What you don't know, maybe you don't know about him is he was actually a trained attorney. He was educated. He was shy. Yet he led all of India in a peaceful revolution. And his words were, we will fight violence by being kind. Gandhi is one of the most well-known names in the world. He died in 1948. He's still a big name. His claim to fame is not that he had a revolution on his side and all these things because he was famous before then in all of India, billions of people. It's because he lived a life that the world could not understand. It's because he stood in front of guns and he took beatings and he's in prison half of his life. But he changed the world. This is, this is our heritage. The people of God walking with God. Not on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of the world. The people around us. I am convinced in my own life that there will be very little left of me, even from a year ago, if I keep going the way I'm going. That's how much I feel like God is changing me. I think it is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I invite you this journey is worth everything um, to hear God and to move with him and to be at peace. Um, is, is the change in my life that I've wanted a long time. I know you'd like to think your pastor was further along in that process maybe than I am. I'm late, all right? All right, I'm late. I'm slow and I'm late. But I'm getting there. Um, if you would stand.